This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right. So I'm sitting here and I am talking to Roger Holscher. And uh, Roger, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, Roger Holster just turned 34 not too long ago. I'm currently living in a town outside of Boise, Idaho. I'm originally from California. I know everybody in Idaho hates hearing that. All the Californians moving up here, but um, I grew up in a small town in northeastern California, northeast of Redding, a ranching community, farming community. Uh, grew up up there and um, got my start in the law enforcement after doing a bunch of different jobs, getting into that. But I've uh, been a law enforcement officer for just about nine years now. So I think the way you would say it these days is you always identified as a yes. as an Idahoan. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, and, and people give me a lot of crap for it, even at work or anytime, you know, and it's all and fun and all good. But it's uh, the area that I grew up in was so much more rural and country than the area I live in now that I'm like, you guys grew up here, you know, where you were 10 minutes from a Walmart. 
I had to drive for two hours to get to a Walmart where I grew up, you know? So <laughs> people, people think of California as beaches and, you know, San Francisco, LA, and, and they, they forget there's a huge, uh, I guess, country Western portion of the state. But, yeah. there. I mean, yeah. never stepped foot in there since I was a child in the state of California. So I couldn't tell you what it's like now, but uh, yeah. you know, I remember some kind of like rural parts and, you know, although, going to visit my grandparents in Thousand Oaks wasn't exactly rural either. So <laughs> yeah, Thousand Oaks, that's, uh, that's the Southern California, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I spent some time down there going to college. <laughs> it was, I was all over that state. It seemed like, um, there's, I'm sorry. Go lots ahead. changed. I says, I'm sure a lot's changed since you were there. I'm sure. uh, I, I don't go back. I got still got all my family's there except for my little sister, but it's, uh, I don't go back. I say I've been back three times and it's been for funerals or weddings. I guess you can call weddings funerals too, depending on your outlook on them. <laughs> <laughs> Only if they get married during hunting season. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> but, um, let's kind of get into a little bit. Like, did you start hunting when you were, uh, when you lived in California then, or were you, um yeah how, how did that go yeah i grew up so we're just kind of the nature of where i grew up we lived on about a couple hundred acres uh, had a cow a ranch and just in a really really nice valley in northeastern california and there was game abundant you know kind of a thing and we moved up there when i was in second grade so i pretty much my whole life grew up in that that environment and my dad was a big hunter so was my grandpa you know everybody was so as far back as I can remember, we always either had me and my brother always had a BB gun in our hands or a 22 and much to the chagrin of the California fishing game. I shot just about everything that moved. You know, <laughs> nothing was safe. My grandpa used to pay us a nickel for every bird that we shot because they were crapping all over his farm equipment. So we'd go out <laughs> and shoot as much as we could, you know, and they didn't know any better at the time, I guess, but kind of grew up into that and watched my dad deer hunt and doing waterfowl small game hunting it was always kind of a natural progression to get into to deer and couldn't really hunt anything else um bear at the time you were able to run with dogs but we didn't really know anybody that ran bears for dogs or uh bears with dogs elk was a once in a lifetime tag pretty much so it was antelope so it was basically deer you were hunting deer if you were there and, and hogs later on i got into hunting hogs but the, uh, my grandpa took me out on my first day deer hunting and shot a, shot a little fork and horn with him and then got an, another deer my next year rifle hunting and then got into archery. So I've been shooting archery almost exclusively since, um, I guess I was 13 or 14 and ended up getting into the archery tech side of things when I was in college working at Bass Pro Shops and then later Sportsman's Warehouse. But that's kind of how I got started in all that. Um, but I kind of spoiled myself. So I, 12 got a buck, 13 got a buck, 14 was my first year archery hunting. First morning archery hunting, like within the first hour, I think I arrowed a, a buck by myself, went back and got my dad. And he didn't believe me until he walked up and saw the buck. But I was like, oh, man, this is easy. <laughs> and then <it> <laughs> And then didn't get anything for years after that, but it, uh, you know, I 
just thinking back on how much I didn't know about anything. My dad didn't shoot archery. Nobody really knew shot archery or was that much into it. I still remember shooting aluminum arrows, but it, uh, it's came a long way as far as what knowledge you can get out there as far as tuning your bow and making sure everything flies right. Um, I, I still remember just screwing on broadheads and thinking they were going to hit with my fill points and then missing deer and going, what the heck? Why did I miss that? You know, but you are not the only one, my friend, you are not the yeah. only one with that. Oh, you know, cause it says on the package, right? It says fuel point accurate. So yep. you just, Oh man, I could just screw on these, <laughs> you know, NAP hundred grain thunderheads. And no, man, I, just, I missed a buck on a water hole three times. Just sailed, sailed each shot over his back, same spot. Not thinking I should just Kentucky winage it name lower, but yeah, all all because of that. You know, I didn't didn't know broadhead tuning. Nobody ever told me anything about that. So in your defense, though, there was also no rangefinders back then. There was uh, probably yeah. no no definitely no fiber optic sight pins back then. Uh, they might have been like yeah. the the plastic that was clear, so just a little bit of light might hit it on the tip. The ones that were so yeah, fragile. Yeah, definitely wasn't the the fiber optic wraps. I remember the old. I want to say it was a true glow pin, but it was like a piece of fiber optic that kind of stuck up outside of the housing. And that was it. Like there was no wrap. Those were high tech. Those were high tech. Cause Uh, I remember the ones I had, had a piece of like, uh, some of them were, it was like a piece of white and a piece of orange plastic. And it was like a little ball on the end of the the pin. They were huge. Like everybody's like, Oh, I can't shoot. You know, the the two (laughs) nine, the two nine fiber optics. These things were like five O's, you know, (laughs) And then they'd always break off, get snagged on something and snap off. You get in your tree stand in the morning and look down as soon as first light came and look at your bow and go, no pin. Yeah. (laughs) No full capture fallaways or uh, that was even before whisker biscuits. So, you know, you'd draw back and your arrow and come off the bow and you'd have to put it back onto the rest. Yes. All of those mistakes were made. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I did every single one of those. Came a long way since then. Heck yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. And now so I'm too I, scared like to even talking. work on my own stuff, but I don't know why. But it's it's easy to throw them out of tune now that I've kind of got into just tuning all my own stuff and doing all that. It's easy to you know you make one little tweak and it affects everything else. So it's uh, kind of a snowball effect, I guess. Especially the whole split limb thing with the <laughs> shimming different cams and doing all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I shoot a Matthews, so it's got the top hats, and yeah, I switching the top hats around and cam timing and all that it's uh had my share of uh, sleepless nights cussing at this thing trying to get it all tuned after switching the strings out on but nice <laughs> good now so um at one point did you get into like elk hunting when did that Not until happen? i moved to idaho um i i came up here with my dad as a non-resident to rifle elk hunt back in ooh, 2000. 15 i think something like that um bought a couple deer tags and an elk tag when you could get a deer tag as a non-resident over the counter <laughs> uh we went rifle elk hunting that was the first time i've ever really gotten elk hunting but i never did see an elk the whole time we were up we were up in the panhandle area and with some family you know they were just basically like drive this four-wheeler up into this clear cut and see if one steps out and didn't know really much about elk hunting at the time and didn't see an elk, shot a couple of nice white tail bucks, but that was it. And when we moved up here, me and my wife, it was, uh, I was bound and determined to, to try to kill an elk. And first year, 
I didn't know what I was doing. Went with a buddy that was a non-resident guy I grew up with in high school and, you know, didn't know the area, kind of threw pins on a map. And I was wanting to hunt them like elk and, or uh, excuse me, like mule deer, which it's a lot like Brian Barney hunts. We were just talking about him, but, you know, as far as being able to spot him in open country and kind of spot and stalk him and not call him, that's kind of more what I was trying to do, avoiding the thick, dark timber. And then you know, fast forward a little while, knowing more, I'm like, that's where I should have been. But I was trying to get into the open country and try to glass them like I do yeah. mule deer. So it, uh, that was a skunk deer. But last year I was able to arrow my first bull, which was uh, a pretty neat experience. Uh, a buddy of mine that I work with now, he was working for the local sheriff's department. It's pretty much determined to get me onto a, a bull. He never took his bow off of his pack and until I killed my bull, which was pretty special. I can't thank him <laughs> enough for that. But. So, I mean, what else did you learn that like you were totally doing wrong when it came to try and trying to get, you know, on an elk? So, oh, and it's kind of what we were talking about gear related stuff is, I'd sent my buddy a list of gear, like, Hey, this is what I'm got. I mean, down to the, you know, the little Excel spreadsheet with the weights and the prices and what I was using down to socks, you know? And I made sure on there was a pair of gators and it was that year. So it was two years ago. It was a super rainy year. It rained every day that we were in the elk woods and my buddy didn't have gators. He had waterproof boots, but he didn't have gators. <laughs> And not knowing how important that was, he didn't know any different. And we spent every morning hunting, but his feet were so soaked. You could hear him walking next to you. It was just so soggy, his feet. And, you know, and that's a miserable way to hunt. And that's not something you can do the long term. And so we had to pretty much every day, half day, go back to the truck. I didn't have a stove for uh, my teepee. So we had to basically start up the truck and dry his boots out every day. And so we were like, oh, while we're in the truck, we might as well drive around and look at this new spot. So I was going spot to spot to spot every day, only hunting in the morning, because by the time we drove around and got to the, the next spot, it was almost too late in the day to, to hunt. And so that really took a lot of time away from our hunting experience and and not really getting able to to know an area and like i know you've you know who mark lewis is but his (laughs) e-scouting stuff is it you know going to the western hunting expo and actually hearing him talk and then get one of his his master e-scouting class and going through that right now it's everything that he says to do we were doing the exact opposite we had no plan we didn't have any you know, my maps weren't downloaded. I had my maps downloaded, my offline maps for the one spot that we were initially going to go, but nothing else. And so we kept having to drive back to cell phone service and wait to download maps to go to this new area. And it was just absolutely a nightmare. And it was, we did it to ourselves. And I think that preparation of having that e-scouting done, having those multiple spots to go and really the gear after I think day four of all that, we finally went to a, a local kind of an outdoor um, store and bought him a set of gators and he was fine for the next two days, but we had already dug ourselves such a hole that you know, we couldn't get out of it. <laughs> that osmosis that, that was a, <laughs> really pulls it into your boots, doesn't it? Oh yeah. It, it was, and he was, 
cussing his boots and like they say they were waterproof i'm gonna send them back and i'm not gonna say what brand they were but they were you know reputable brand and i was like dude it's not your boots it's not coming in from your boots it's coming in from your you know everything else from your knees down that's hitting this wet grass and brush and everything and it was you know he just had never worn gaiters so he had no idea how the impact that these things can have yeah it almost makes me want to get a taller pair of gaiters because I've got like the mid, yeah. the mid knee, you know, or not mid knee, but like yeah. the mid shin, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not the ones that go right to your knees. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's. And people give me a lot of crap for it, but um, I wear gaiters even if it's not wet outside or snowing. Um, I've actually had a few times where wearing those knee high gaiters. Um, I wear the first light gaiters has probably saved me from impaling myself on some deadfall. Um, just gives you that extra little bit of, I guess, toughness layer that those branches can't poke through, you know, falling into deadfall and getting jabbed and having a, a real bad scratch and a massive bruise on my leg, but it didn't puncture. And I, I almost guarantee it is because of those gators. And so <laughs> I, I hunt in so much deadfall area that I, I pretty much wear those things no matter what. And they're, they are hot. They do make you sweat a little bit more in the, the heat of the, I guess season, but I, I know if I sit down the glass, I open them up and air everything out so it dries. But it's something you gotta keep conscious of. No, that's that's a good thing to think about. As um, I, I think my first one, I brought them on the hunt, never actually wore them, left them in the truck. But I was lucky that it never rained or snowed or did anything. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I would have been screwed if it, yeah. you know, would have been out somewhere and did that. But Especially yeah. cold weather, it makes it worse, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you can't just leave them out and let your boots dry <laughs> while you're glassing for the morning, you know? It's, although those, uh, have you seen those new Graxaw boot dryers? Uh, it's like a little battery pack or something that goes on them, like a like a yeah, cell? Yeah, it's, it's a little fan that's about like that, and you plug it into, you know, Poseidon Energy or some some type of a battery pack, and it's just a little fan that blows, and they're, they're really lightweight. So there's, is there a heating element in them or no, um, there, there's not, it's just a little fan and there's two of them and they're real thin, they're real lightweight, but they're, uh, I know like Brian call and, and Lampers use them. I got to see them firsthand and at the summit, but they're, you know, just to get that air circulating through those boots to dry them out a little bit more, it might be worth, I think, I don't even think they're six ounces, you know, it might be worth that. You know, when you're not running, using a stove or something like that, and that you can dry out that stuff, at least a little bit of air circulation has got to be better than just leaving them sit there. No, absolutely. I, anything would help, right? I know I've seen some guys do like hand warmers. They'll take some hand hand warmers with them and throw those in. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, I don't I don't know what would actually work. I've never tried doing that myself, but. Um, yeah, I did that one year because my boots got wet. They weren't like wet on the inside, but they were constantly wet on the outside and it was down into the teens. So they were freezing. And, you know, I don't like starting off with super cold boots. So I just leave those in the toe box area, those hand warmers. And it, I think it got them warm enough to where they were able to dry a little bit, and not be frozen in the morning when I put them on. Nice. But, no, that's pretty I don't know how much they work for drying things, but <laughs> it sure made it a lot more comfortable putting my boots on the next morning. For sure. So let's get into, so let's flash forward. What did you do differently from, from learning your mistakes, not doing everything you did 
and then going into last year where you actually got your bull? I guess being into elk, my buddy helped a lot. Yeah, he was like at the time. So I, I met him in the spring of 2019 after I killed my spring bear. We were talking, he was working at the sheriff's department at the time, but it, I'd already bought my elk tag for that year and planned my hunt with my buddy. He and uh, this kid, his name is Chris. I call him a kid, but he's 24 years old. He's just 10 years younger than I am. So I call him kid. That is a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a, he is a lot more mature than I was at his age. So I'll give him that. But now he, uh, he, he'd been hunting this area and he invited me to go, but it was too late that year. So flash forward to 2020, um, already had that area picked out. You know, we knew where we were going to go. He had since transferred over to my department and was in the field training. So he couldn't take days off because he was doing the whole FTO gig and, and academy. So um, I knew I was going to be going into this area by myself for the first few days. And then on the weekends when he was able to get out, he was able to come up there with me. Um, but I knew, I knew I was going to be in elk and I really concentrated on um, finding elk. I mean, you can't kill them if they ain't there. So getting in a country where there was elk, the thick north facing timber pockets that I was avoiding the year before is getting into this next year, uh, worked on my calling a lot and just really getting into elk. And I, I had some pretty close opportunities before he showed up, but he's a really good caller. He's been hunting elk a lot since I mean, still as a kid, but been hunting elk <laughs> a lot longer than I have. And so um, even though he's only been archery hunting for a few years, he's he grew up elk hunting with a rifle, but he knew elk, he knew the behavior, and he was a really good caller. So, um, and I, I got to give him so many props. His attitude is so much better than mine, and I've been working on that a lot. And that's one thing that's that's probably my fault is that my attitude. I could get uh, pretty pessimistic even in the elk woods or even in the woods, and and that was one thing. That uh, sorry to digress from the story, but that's <laughs> that's all part of it. Man. I told him that's all, one thing I told him this year I was going to work on, it, and it it definitely made our spring bear hunt a lot better. It was just my attitude and, and knowing that's that's my flaw I got to work on. But I had gone in the first night by myself, um, a couple miles in, and go down to start eating my dinner, and I forgot my spoon. So here I am, you know I from the truck where my spoon was, I was like eight mile four wheeler ride. And then a couple mile hike. And I'm sitting there already here in elk bugle my first night in there. I wasn't going to go back out to the truck and come back. I was too excited to hunt the next morning. So I stayed and I kind of didn't really think much of it. And I'm such a like, hmm, how can I fix that and do this and tinker with stuff? I never thought about how to make a, my own spoon or to, you know to get by without it i just figured i don't know i don't know what i was thinking but i wasn't thinking at all but i was like ah, i could just live on the snacks that i brought that was a big mistake after three days 10 miles a day you know thousands of feet of elevation just chasing elk all over i bonked like i've never bonked before like i didn't think i was going to make it out of this this hole <laughs> I was so bad, you know, just lightheaded, dizzy. I'd take a couple steps and, you know, have to like sit down because I was getting so lightheaded. Every time I drink water, I'd throw it back up. Like I was in a bad way. 
like contemplated sitting there on the side of the mountain like man i might have to hit my sos button on my inreach like i was not good but i knew i was going out to meet him at the truck and i could get my spoon or i could get some more uh, food in me i think i only had like 2500 calories in three days and so i was just working on <laughs> yeah terrible dude that yeah i mean that, <laughs> that's that's I, Most I'm, people eat like 3,000 calories a day without all that strenuous right. activity. Yeah. So I was just, I had wore myself so thin that um, finally get some food in me. But I, I was, Chris gets there, you know, his first time hunting that season, elk at least. And he's fresh. He's in shape. He's 10 years younger than I am. And I'm still, even though I had two of my peak roof refill meals at the truck like i was still you can't just make up that type of caloric deficit in one meal <laughs> and so i was just i was smoked and we get in there and i'm in a bad mood because i'm smoked and he's like wanting to go back down into these nasty holes that i was just in <laughs> and barely made it out and he kept a good good attitude and he pushed me to go after and, and i always i called him the phantom bugler because he, he's 24 he's got good ears i've been in well now four shootings and have a lot of hearing loss and supposed to wear hearing aids but i didn't bring them on this hunting trip and i will now bring them because i didn't realize what i wasn't hearing and you know he'd be like oh you hear that bugle down in the bottom and i'm like bs dude you ain't <laughs> i didn't hear nothing down there i'm not going down into that hole you know and so we end up going out we're going back to the truck i think it's day five and we're driving the four wheelers back and i'm still smoked looking forward to getting to the creek by the truck kind of refreshing getting some food in me and he stops in the middle of the road and i'm just i'm not happy right i'm just pissed and he's like man i i hear that there's people hear bulls in here and they see bulls in this this drainage and I'm like dude it's right next to the main road like or not main road but like main four-wheeler trail like People drive by this all the time. There's not bulls in here. It's like, no, let's just, just see. So he lets out a couple of bugles, and sure enough, he hears one way down on the bottom. It's like, oh, did you hear that bull? Again, I'm like, no, I don't hear <laughs> nothing, dude. And so I'm pretty, still pretty pissed at this point. And he's like, no, no, rips another one. And then this next time, a bull answers closer, and I actually hear it this time. And we look at each other, and I was like, okay, I heard that one. He's closer. He's like, I think we could kill that bull. And I don't know, it's just I got a rush of energy that I didn't have before. And so we made a play and kind of snuck in. It sounded like the bull was bedded. It was about I don't know, 11 o'clock in the morning. So we make a play down into this bull. And as soon as we dump into the timber, we jump this massive velvet buck. I mean, this is September 5th, I think it was. And buck is still in velvet. We didn't get a good look at it, but we were both like, oh, that's at least a 180 buck. Just a really nice velvet muley. And so I'm kind of focusing on that, like bird <laughs> in the hand versus, you know, two in the bush. And I know this buck didn't, we didn't bust him hard because, you know, he was ripping bugles and we were kind of walking like elk. So I, he just kind of gingerly went off. So I thought we can get in on this. So I'm kind of sneaking through the timber trying to get back on this buck and he's still calling and ripping bugles and everything. And, I end up seeing the buck again at like 80, can't get a shot at it. 
And then we go back down to where we last saw the buck thinking I might see him again. Didn't I set down my pack and my bow and going to have a snack. And he's still in elk mode and I'm in, I'm about to eat a snack mode. <laughs> and he, <laughs> again, because I can't hear anything. He hears something and he's like, grab your bow. And I'm like, okay, grab my bow. I'm like, what do you, I think he hears the, the buck coming back or something, you know? And it's like, he's coming in. I'm thinking still the buck. It's like, where's he at? I can't see him. He's like, no, there's a bull coming up the draw. I couldn't see him based on where we were. He could. And so this bull's coming in. I still don't hear him. My buddy sees him. And all of a sudden he goes, come on, let's go. And we take off running i leave we leave our packs and we take our running kind of down this draw after this bull that i still don't see and he tells me to run ahead of him and i go ahead towards this kind of a knob and he hangs back and i peek over the knob and i see this bull at the bottom of this bowl at 64 yards and it's like oh crap yeah there was a bull you know and i <laughs> range him gonna shoot him there but he had kind of turned and then started coming back up the draw my buddy's calling was working. This bull still hasn't made a peep. No, no bugling, no nothing. Starts coming up the draw. And uh, as soon as I could see his, his royals come up over the, the brush, you know, thirds. So as soon as I see his seconds, I kind of knelt down and drew. And then I crouched, a full draw crouched. And as soon as he came up a little bit more, I just stood up and worked through my – I probably just jerked the heck out of my hinge release. but. It was a frontal at 12 yards, you know, that's not a whole lot you can do to miss at that point. And, uh, <laughs> hit him frontal and watch him die 10 seconds, you know, right in front of me. And it was, uh, it's one of those experiences I'll never, never forget. Nice. It, it's all, and it legitimately is all just because of my buddy. Like there's you know, having him there to push me more than anything is, uh, I probably would have packed it up before that. I was just, uh, mentally not there. And he was, and he pushed me to it. So the lesson there is what? <laughs> I, I My nutrition, you know, and I guess I took it for granted. I don't think I've ever pushed my body to that point during a hunt before. And just, I think I took the nutrition for granted instead of like, no, it sucks. I might have to miss the morning hunt, but I got to go back and get my spoon. That's a, that's a decision I regretted for a while after that. It took me a while to. So back, I'm just wondering why you didn't take a stick and whittle a spoon for yourself. Dude, I don't know how many people, they, a lot I mean, of people call me MacGyver because the way I do stuff, but they're like, really, you couldn't have. And I was like, dude, there's a 10 things that I could think of right now that I should have done. But at the time, I don't know why I didn't think about it. You know, it was like, ah, I'll be okay. I'll be okay until I can get back to the truck. And, and then it just hit me like a ton of bricks out. Last I think I might even hydrated before. that food and cut the pouch off so it was shorter and you could just dump it and in just drink it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was that was one of the ten things that I should have done that I thought about. Like, holy I mean, cow! I could have just. It's it's basically a soup anyway. Most of them, so I could have just yeah, drank it and and been better. But yeah, now the the nutrition, um, power of positive my thinking. Yeah, gotta, no, my, my buddy's outlook on everything and his good attitude killed that bull, you know, instead of a, nah, we can't get to it or no, nah, I'm too tired. It was a, no, we can, we can go do this. And, you know, you know I, I've always pushed my, my body as far as limits goes, um, playing college sports and, and everything else. But that was, uh, I even pushed it past 
what I originally thought I could. And you can do a lot with, uh, you know, what's going on between your ears, I'd say. So uh, that was Absolutely. definitely one of those lessons that, I've been, that I learned. I've been trying to push myself mentally more and more because I realize you know, physical is super important and sometimes I'm lacking in that area and yeah. <laughs> I can beat my body up and do something as long as I push my mind to force me through it. So yeah. I think your mind will fail long before your body will. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, and I got to get better at that along. That's along with the attitude thing too, you know, and being a good hunting partner. I always, I haven't been hunting with other people for very long. Like, I was a solo archery guy because my dad didn't start archery hunting until I was in college, but and I was by myself hunting. So it was never, a, I never had to ask or bounce ideas off anybody. I just did what I wanted to do because that's, I was the only one out there. And so hunting with somebody else that also had good ideas about what to do was something that I wasn't used to. And I butted heads, my buddy that I all kind of, all kind of with my, my First year, all kind of when I moved up here, they always said we we just got skunked on everything. He's a very strong, opinionated person, like I am, type A personality kind of guy, and, and we almost started fist fighting on the mountain. And <laughs> we uh, we laugh about it now, but there was a point we almost went to blows just because I wanted to go this way, he wanted to go this way, or we had a different thought in our mind on which way we wanted to go and how we wanted to work our way through this timber, and it was. You know, he's the same way. He solo elk hunts and I solo hunted. And so it was just, it, uh, I didn't really realize it until this, this winter, you know, winter time, uh, I usually reload and tinker with my new loads for the rifle for the year. And I'm reloading, listening to the podcast. And I can't remember whose podcast it was, but it was about, uh, being a good hunting partner. And they talked about all this stuff and I'm sitting here freeloading, like, Holy cow. This is, this podcast is for me. This is, I am the exact person that they're saying you don't want to be, you know? And I had that, that, oh shit, self-reflection moment that, um, I, I think will pay huge dividends in the future as far as hunting. Like I said, this spring bear hunt, uh, is one of those that it paid off big and, and it was so much more fun and, and rewarding because my job, I'm stressed out all the time. And, hunting is my release it's my reset and why did i bring that stress that amount of stress level up there on the mountain that's supposed to de-stress and and release all that stress and so it was really a, like a wow kind of a moment that i had and i don't know hopefully going forward i can get as good as i can at that and i, t I tell my buddy i'm like dude call me out on it if i'm being that guy again like just blatant call me out and i need that to happen People need to call me out when I do stuff like that because it's uh, you know, sometimes we're our worst, worst enemies as far as our attitude. So my buddy Johnny Mack is one of the most positive people I've ever talked to in my life. I get, anytime you hang up the phone after talking to him, you're smiling just because of the positivity that comes through that phone when you're talking to him. It's crazy. But it makes me think, though, that's the kind of person that you need to – you know what I mean? Like – you need to be sometimes. And I find myself, you know, if I'm negative or whatever, I'm like, man, there's, you know, there's no reason to be like that. You know, it, it, it doesn't pay off any, any, any way whatsoever. No. It yeah, really doesn't. But so I try and be more positive like Johnny and think, think things, the power of positive thinking, as he says. So it, it seems to, uh, 
seems to help, and I'm going to continue to do that. And uh, maybe maybe you'll continue with the power of positive oh, thinking man. as well. Yeah, I I, lo- I love what Johnny's doing over there with his podcast and the Soul Seekers and all that stuff. Like that's like you said, that dude is just positive to the T and great <laughs> mentor for anybody that's looking in, to get into hunting and everything. You know, that's I I, I wasn't uh, such a good mentor. Just, like I said, I, I was uh, I was a big solo guy, and so hunting with somebody else was a that was a tough hurdle for me to get over, and especially a younger guy, you know, a guy that's ten years younger that I have all this experience of mistakes that I've made, and I'm trying to tell him, it, no, we let's not do that, and, and instead of hearing what he has to say and knowing it's not the same situation, that he knows what he's doing, trust that he knows what he's doing. You know, I just, I'd lose my, lose my temper and I wouldn't lose it for that long, but I always had those snaps, those, <laughs> you know, passive aggressive asshole moments that, um, you know, that just, it's a drain on the hunt. It's a drain on his positive attitude and, and what this hunt could be. And it, it was a, man, I wish I could remember what that podcast was and, or whose it was. Cause I would sure love to give him a lot of credit for it. Cause it's, uh. I I know the thing. podcast you're talking about, and I've listened to it too, and I couldn't tell you who it was, but I I know I've listened yeah. to it, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's uh that's the definition of a crappy hunting partner, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, and man, I'm telling you, everything that guy said, it was me, and I was like, wow. So my buddy's been hunting with me for I don't know however many hunts, and he's been dealing with that. And has still kept a positive attitude and not called me an asshole to my face. Like <laughs> dude's even, you know, his, his, uh, his attitude's even better than I thought. So are you guys going out though? Are you guys going to go out, uh, this year together? Yeah. Yeah. He's able to, he's off the field training program and out of zone and, and doing really well. And he's able to, we actually are both able to take a bunch of time off. We usually reserve a lot of it for spring bear and then elk hunting for work. We're both, I took off, I think I'll be off from the August 31st to September 21st. Holy cow. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'll have to come back. I just have a, I've got a five month old boy and my wife at home that I'll have to come back for. Um, but I, I believe I'll be able to be out there from the 31st till I think September 11th. And I'll have to come back for a few days to watch my son while my wife works and then be able to go back out for another another few but uh, yeah dennis stokes should be joining us on that one too that's that'll awesome be, that'll be a lot of that's fun. exciting so speaking yeah. of dennis what's uh, and uh yeah. you're a gear junkie what is your favorite piece yeah. of gear is it your initial ascent pack man i i love that pack it, it's hard for me to put a favorite on anything because it really depends on that 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 always goes with me no matter what i'm doing but <laughs> um, it, you know it's I put backpacks, I put boots all on in the same and then your weapon system on like even tier when people are like, oh, what's the one thing I should spend money on? You know, it's like, well, I can't just say one thing because you could buy a really nice backpack, but shitty boots and you're going to have a miserable time. You could buy a really nice boots and a shitty backpack. And if you do kill something, because that's the goal and you're going to have a shitty time uh, or, you know, weapon system. If you don't have a good weapon system, you can't capitalize on those opportunities. So um i i do love that pack it is uh it's been so much better i had a lot of bad experiences with prior packs that uh, i was chris 
the guy I hunt was actually was the one who turned me on to initial scent. He's been using their packs and a friend of Dennis and Joe's for pretty much, I think after only a few months of them being in business and brought his pack over one day after I had a bad experience with my previous pack, packing out my bear and just tried it on with a lot of weight in it. It was just night and day difference. It fits my body, that lumbar pad, everything, just the more weight you put in it, the more it just sticks to my back and just, it's been, <laughs> it's been a blessing. That's for sure. You can and say then, your mystery you know, ranch sucked. <laughs> Nobody cares. Uh, so, I'll, I'll say it because I, I don't mind talking crap about it. Because mine did. It was a it was a Kuyu. It was a um, the ultra frame or the ultra suspension system that I had. It was a Kuyu. I think at the time I was, I think it was the thirty two hundred bag or something. I can't remember, but um, it was just miserable in that thin, the narrow frame and the thin frame, and then not much of a lumbar pad. Just and it felt great with. You know, you're walking around 30, 35 pounds. Uh, it always squeaked, and I hated that. That's the same with the Mystery always Ranch. That. Always squeaked. <laughs> but it, uh, you know, it once I put that bear on it, all it was was boned out meat and hiding head. So there's no structure to it. And I didn't have the, the Kuyu load shelves, but I was doing the whole wedge and the meat against the frame. And with camp and everything else that I had in the bag and it sits so low on my back and then just not being able to secure it because of how narrow the frame is. I mean, if you think about it, that initial scent pack, it starts up really wide and then it tapers down a little bit narrower, but it's still at its narrow point. It's still I don't know, 10, 12 inches wide. If you think about it, what do we carry weight wise? That's narrow you know, like the Kuyu frame. I mean, it's that, you know, nothing you carry, your quarters, your game bags, everything is wide. And so that wide frame on the initial scent, it just cradles that, that meat and that load really well. And it keeps it above my waistline, which is huge. And it's just, you know, your knees, your joints are still going to feel it, but not having to overexert yourself to control a load that's slushing around on your back. I got bear I packed out. It was just over a mile and it was a really easy kind of a flat downhill pack out. Cause I killed him right, a, right below a, a Creek drainage that I could just walk out, but it just about killed me. I was, had so much back problems after that. Hmm. So I got to the chiropractor, just, uh, <laughs> it was miserable, but it, I've had such a good experience with this pack. And I know there's, I know you use one, but there's a lot of different, um, uh, people's bodies are different you know it's like when you see the arguments online of oh this pack or this pack or these boots the boots the boots one is the funniest thing because everybody's like nah it's Zamberlin's, nah it's crispy's nah it's hoffman's not you know and it's almost like fits you (laughs) right and my feet you know like crispy's i didn't like the way the Zamberlin's fit me you know some people might love the hoffman's or the, you know it's just all it's all personal personal preference when you get to those top tier packs um, it's like when i used to sell archery equipment or guns for that matter you know it's like i could you know i'm a glock guy i like glocks just shoot, shoot them in law enforcement and they've always done me really well but if i went to sell somebody a glock and they're like oh i don't like the way it feels in my hand like, cool, that's your personal preference. Don't buy Smith & Wesson Sigma. Buy something comparable as far as price-wise and, and quality-wise, but find something that fits you, that feels good to you, because what feels good to me might not feel good to you. And with archery equipment, it's worse. You know, there, There's 
and we shoot ourselves in the foot with this whole as a, as a hunting community, you know, if like, if you don't wear sick of gear, you know, shame <laughs> on you, or, you know, if you don't shoot a Matthews bow or, you know, whatever. But so we, we kind of divide ourselves based on what gear we run, which is kind of sad sometimes, but you know, <laughs> my, my buddy, Chris, he just bought a PSE Evo, the 34. Love that bow. I shot it in my, my little garage shop thing that I got here and, it's a great shooting bow. You know, I, I love that thing. I used to talk so much crap on PSE when I worked in a, <laughs> uh, a bow shop. I used to call PSE piece of shit equipment. Like it was, uh, it was always a joke, but I shot for Bowtech at the time. And, you know, it was, I was a Bowtech through and through. And <laughs> I just, it's not a good way because some people didn't like the grip on the Bowtech or, you know, and it's yeah. just so much personal preference that I think as long as you buy quality, whatever fits you and feels good to you, it's your, nobody can tell you any different, you know? Yeah. I'm pretty sure and, and uh, whether, all them bows are pretty equal these days. I mean, you might have yeah. some that, that aren't, you know, but basically once you get into that certain price range, they're, they're all going to be about the same. I mean, they might, one might be a little bit louder than the other one, but one might shoot softer than the other one. You know, it, it, yep, it's 100%. all going to vary. They all got their pros and cons. You could sit there and make a list and compare them each. And it's, it's funny watching some of these bow reviews online that are like, Oh no, Matthew's run one third year running. And it's like, and I know guys that can't, that hate the Matthews the way, it, you know, how front or top heavy it is and wants to fall forward and you know just the balance of it whatever people have their own personal preference but like you said that price range that price bracket you know don't go by you can't compare hundred dollar boots to three hundred dollar boots you can't buy you know compare you know uh i always talk crap <laughs> about bad badlands because i've had them i've owned badlands packs but you know you can't compare uh sports warehouse 250 dollar badlands to a 700 uh, or initial sin or stone or you know yeah. you can't there, there's apples and oranges and same with you know weapon systems or anything else optics optics are a big one you, know, you gotta what's in that price range buy what's the best you can in the price range that you have uh, and i think you'll be surprised stepping up the price price bracket how much better it is than the the next there's there's a reason why it's a little bit more expensive it's not just because they can they can do that it's there's comfort reasons and other different reasons why they have multiple price brackets so so did you get a commission i gotta ask you this did you get a commission when you were yeah. selling the firearms um so <laughs> the reason they, i asked that is because why was, would you put them in a glock if you could put them in like a less bear or <laughs> something like that <laughs> yeah well again price range you know you got guys who are coming in there looking for their their first gun and you know the nighthawks less bears you know the wilson combats that's uh somebody knows what they're doing when they come in and ask for that kind of a gun you know that's not something that your first time gun buyer is gonna no but i would have been the guy hey oh man you you gotta hold this check this out this is the one you so that is funny you mentioned that because I haven't worked in retail. I, I pick up on these things when I go in and I, you know, kind of do my window shopping at some of these retail stores and you go in there looking at a certain optic and everybody's always like, Oh, you got to look at these swirls, you know, they're, <laughs> they're $2,000 more than you're looking for to spend. But you know, got to look at these, you know, like, dude, I know what you're doing. You can keep those swirls in the, I know they're better. <laughs> Trust me, if I could afford them, I would buy those. 
you know so it's uh i know that game but they did you know there was uh some of the manufacturers on the firearms would uh do monthly incentives so if you sold you know smith and wesson was one of them that could come to my mind you know they just came out with the mp series not too long before i was working at the gun store and they were like oh if you sell 10 mps this month we'll give you an mp for free you know so <laughs> that's a huge incentive for me that you know like somebody comes right. in like ah, i want a nine millimeter <laughs> Look at the <laughs> you know like oh well i heard about this glock nah you don't want that you want the smith and wesson and so i have a hard time knowing all those kind of <laughs> the things that go on sending anybody to a retail store to look at something i always tell them like hey dude if you need to go feel something like you know a rifle for instance if you want to feel how it feels in your hand feel how the bolt actuates feel how the trigger is and everything go to these stores do it but do your own research don't let these guys because i'm sure they're still doing that type of a thing where they get a kickback if they sell this or whatever and so i, I have a hard time and, and like i said i cut my teeth on re in retail but it's uh i've seen a lot of kind of shady stuff going on <laughs> as far as that goes where it's like this might not be what's best for the customer but hey i just upselled you know, upselling them on something, you know, but, you know. So, <laughs> with that being said, if somebody's going to look for a gun, you want something reliable, you want something that probably will fit your hand, depending on the generation, just buy a Glock. Yeah. Just buy a Glock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and. And no, there's no sponsorship they, here. They, yeah, they've, they've come a long ways um, since I was selling guns as far as, you know, now they have their slim frame series, like their single stacks, yep. like the 43, their 43X and stuff like that. And that was a big thing with smaller statured people uh, being able to get their hands because the Glock is a blocky, you know, and the, the grip angle on a Glock was usually hard to sell people to if they've, you know, they don't have the 1911 grip angle. So a lot of people, oh, this feels weird in my hand. And so, you know, it's like, hey, if it's, if it's not comfortable, to you and you can't get to the trigger properly and being a firearms instructor that's a big thing is being able to get on the trigger and having it comfortable in your hand where you can have a good solid grip you know a lot of guys will um, have to cock their kind of break their grip and so the recoil is just on their thumbs to get to the mag trigger on, especially on a, <laughs> a block you know yeah or a mag i have release, to i know? still it's have like, to shift my hand on the mag release but I, I you know too. what it is it what is. it is yeah. I've, I've adapted that's, that's yeah <laughs> yeah and i don't even think about it anymore you know it's just you do it enough you just do it but i i build glocks i build polymer you know, glocks on polymer 80s I, I like i'm a glock armor so the least amount of parts that are in a gun like a glock like that they're the you know they just they're very simple they're easy to work on yourself i was a sig armor too at my last agency and those sig we shot the 226s and a lot of parts holy cow a lot of parts <laughs> a lot of little parts and a lot of parts that broke those things were very unreliable uh, we shot old old ones though they didn't uh, no i think the new ones they've i, I think they've come a long yeah. way as far as 100%. repeatability <laughs> the dependability yeah. of them for sure this is how old the ones that they issued us were in my old apartment is they were German SIGs, so they were made in West Germany. They didn't have a light rail on them, and they didn't have night sights. So, um, or the night sights that they did have, the tritium was so old in them that they weren't night sights anymore. So they were very old, and they needed a lot of parts replaced. But the the power of money that they didn't 
want to replace all the parts. So we were having parts break. That's right. You know, guys at the range are like, Hey, my gun won't shoot. Oh yeah. Your hammer springs broken. You know, it's like, Oh, that's not a good feeling, you know? And they get, they were armored every year. And so it's like, you know, they were 40 cows. So those that caliber or that cartridge beats up handguns quite a bit, but yeah, I wasn't a fan of the SIG 226. I know I'm going to probably catch a lot of crap for that because I know I got buddies that love them, but what, bro? Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's like everything. Like, Here oh, comes by this the forums <laughs> blowing yeah. up. Oh, dude. Yeah. That, it's all about what fits your. And, and I like the agencies that are like, hey, as long as it's, you know, 940 or 45 carry whatever gun you want that's within these parameters because you know you might shoot a smith and wesson mmp great or you might shoot a sig 226 great but you might not shoot a glock very well well why would i throw a glock in your hand if that you're not very good with that firearm i want you to have as an agency i want you to have what you could shoot with the best because you're going to be comfortable with that gun and you're going to be the best shot you can be with that firearm and you know, there's limitations. Like everybody wants to carry a 1911 or a 2011, and, and I love those guns. I just don't know if there's uh, a lot of room for them in law enforcement. I carry. I have a couple of them. I, I only carry if you're them off duty sometimes and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> hey man, I I do love those guns, but there is uh, it's hard going from a Glock or even a, that Sig 226 to shooting. I used to shoot. I. Um, USPSA competitions, single stack division with my 45. And there's a couple of times where you getting on that trigger because the trigger being so much different than the SIGs that you were getting on that trigger, you know, preloading it as you're coming out and torching off around before you wanted to. <laughs> and it's a, not a good feeling, <laughs> but yeah, there. So I, I, that's, that's mainly why I, I stick with block. Um, just it's my comfortability in the, the training of it, I've got so many rounds downrange with a Glock and being comfortable with it that I don't have to think about it when I go to draw. You know, heaven forbid I have to have an off duty incident where I have to defend my life or somebody else's life. I don't want to have to think, okay, which gun am I carrying today? Is it yeah. my 1911, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, it's just a continuity of training when it comes to all that stuff. So let's, uh, let's, let's transition a little bit and uh, go back to boots that you mentioned you mm. said you went from what to crispy because i'm just kind of curious um because i i was using the mindle whatever and they were actually yep. really good boots almost too firm of a sole for me kind of like uh like kenetrex are just too stiff for for my foot yeah. they're too stiff it's like i can't you can't really get any feeling of what the terrain you're on or any of that kind of stuff um and i do yeah. like like a medium sole but those those were definitely too firm and then so, and I mean, they lasted, the Mindle lasted a long time though. I think I got like three years out of them, a couple hundred miles every season and, and uh, still had the waterproofing after three years, which was pretty good. Yeah. But so then I bought, I just bought a pair of uh, Zamberlins. I got the trail light somethings, but so I have wide toes and a narrow heel. So it's kind of hard mm. to get fitment that's good. I like the stiffness of the sole of the Zamberlin, but they put this like structure on the inside of the boot 
in between the layers of like the leather and the the in inside of the boot right in the toe area so whatever this structure is is like squeezing the crap out of my toes and i can't wear them for more than a couple hours and i've even like I've soaked them with the garden hose, tried to break them in, and whatever that structure is, it's like rubber or something inside there, and it's oh. just not going to give me the flex I need. So now I'm going to have to buy another pair of boots. <laughs> and, yeah, and and that's tough because crispies are – I like the way they fit my feet, um, and they have a flex rating. They'll tell you on their on their website or, you know, Black Ovis or wherever you get them what the flex rating is. And so I, I always had that problem too. I always used to use just – Found them at uh, Cabela's or Bass Pro or whatever. They were uh, a Wolverine hunting boot. You know, I didn't need anything. Um, hunting in California, um, where I grew up, was kind of rolling lava beds, sagebrush. Uh, there wasn't like the, you know, the the high country, you know, above timberline, alpine kind of stuff. Um, so we, and it was hot. We hunted them in August. So we were hunting water holes a lot or walking, you know, slow hunting patches of timber, um, or there was a lot of lava beds and the bucks loved to bed in these lava beds. So we would slow kind of still hunt these lava beds. And so I wanted a soft sole, you know, we weren't doing some nasty strenuous uphills, downhills and stuff like that. It was a pretty flat walking. Um, and those lasted a long time. But when I came up and went elk hunting that one time with the rifle, I think 2015, we were hunting some, some nasty stuff and boy, those things did not help my feet. So, uh, when, when I moved up here, I bought, I bought some Krispies. I went around, there's a couple local stores that got Krispies and I was able to try some on. And, um, I started with the summits, the summit GTXs. I think they're a three flex rating, which is kind of mid rating for them for the flex. And, and they, they do a really good job. They're not too hard. They're not too soft um you know when you're walking the you know the antelope country flatter kind of stuff they don't kind of fatigue your your legs because you don't have any flex you got the flex still in them uh, but they're still stiff enough for the the nasty stuff and then yeah. i bought a pair of uh brick stalls for uh they're four flex they're an insulated brick stall they're 200 gram in, uh, insulate just for the the winter hunts i mean like I said, growing up where I did is it always, it got cold, but we were never hunting in the cold. We were hunting in August. So I never needed any insulated boots. And the first year I hunted, you know, an October deer hunt or even into the November hunts, I was like, what is this hunting in snow and stuff? Like that just <laughs> never had to do that before. So I had to get some, my feet. I know that is a big thing about my, my hunting is my feet, my foot care. It's uh, I know I got, feet that are prone to blisters and, and hot spots. And so I try to prevent that no matter what boots I wear. I just know it's just like my feet sweat a lot. So that moisture in there just does some serious rubbing and no matter how tight I get the boots or sock liners or not, it's just, I know it's coming. So I either, uh, I usually had uh, treated, I would put Luco tape on all the hot spots that I knew I was going to get before I left the truck. So I would pre-do it with oh, tape just to, just to prevent, you know, that. So I didn't get up, you know, a couple miles in and go, okay, I'm getting a hot spot now, getting out and putting it on there, try to stop it before it started. And that helped a lot knowing I knew where I was going to get them just based on how, how much my feet sweat. But then a uh, guy from Western Contours, 
got me onto this stuff. I thought I had some laying around here, but I don't think I do. It's called Ru Ru Wool. Don't try to say that too fast. It's like W U R U Wool. And it's, I think it's a merino wool, but it's a just a chunk of wool in a bag. And you take it off and you kind of place it on those hot spots and slide your sock over. And my problem with a Luco tape is after, you know, unless you wanted to strip it off every night, reapply it every day, I always just left it on. And after a while, if it's just getting wet, it would kind of migrate a little bit. Um, it, it lasted quite a while, but it would eventually migrate. But that Ruru wool kind of adheres to, you could take your sock off and it stays in your sock where you put it. And so you can, and I would always peel it out of the sock and reapply it. You could re reapply it. You didn't have to rip off new stuff and reapply it. And man, I used it all, all during the, the bear hunt. And my buddy, Chris, he was having some hot spot issues and gave him some of that. And it, it really helped him out too. So, and how light that is compared to, I used to carry a full roll of Luco <laughs> yeah. tape with me. Just that's how much <laughs> I used it. And, but that, that pack of wool, I just take, rip a big chunk off and put it in a Ziploc bag. And it's, I mean, I hate saying it weighs nothing because it obviously weighs something, but it's, I don't even think it would register on my scale. It's that, that light. You probably could so have even fashioned a spoon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I should have. But yeah, the, and that's what I like about the Krispies. And I actually wear a, a crispy. I think it's the Sniper for uh, for my work boot, too. It's just a, I've had really good luck with them. And I have had to use their warranty. Uh, the Rand was kind of peeling off. One sent it back, no questions asked. It got fixed and back to me within two weeks. You know, nice. I never would have known it happened. So um, there's that is a nice thing, but I I do like how they're. I think my next ones are the little ponias. I think they're a two flex rating, just to you know wear around range boot. You know, even hunting on my no lampers like the ponias. But I hate to say it, but I think I think I might have to jump on the crispy train here. I've tried them on before yeah. though, and and I don't know. It might have been just the ones I tried on, they felt super comfortable. But then again, the flex rating of them, I mean, I had to drive all the way down to Springfield, which is like two hours, I don't know, two hours, 15 minutes away from me just to try them on because nobody else yeah. carried Krispies, you know. So I right. went down and tried them on, and then I was like, ah, you know. And um, the flex rating must have been because I felt like my feet would just get super fatigued from all the, the flex on the sole and I wouldn't have enough arch support, you know, it would just wear me out. And, and so I was like, ah, I'm staying away from the Krispies. And that's when I bought the Mindles. And then, uh, now I'm kind of thinking maybe I had to give Krispies a try again. Although, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll have to get a flat brim hat and, uh, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) once you go down that road, and start Water wearing medium husky t-shirts, now. you know, I, yeah, I just, oh man. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're three quarter, we're three quarter length sick of puffies and right. Right. Or the new, uh, that's a, sleeping bag oh, slash, uh, onesie snuggie or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my buddy that I hunt with, I, I give him so much crap. It's, he's a good sport about it, but he had, he was wearing first light stuff when I first met him when we were hunting together. And then he wanted to try sick of stuff. And he is such a snob when it comes to different camo patterns or just different brands wearing them. 
that he sold all of his first light stuff down to the T, everything. Sold all of his first light stuff and bought all new Sika stuff. And, you know, he got those three-quarter length Buffy fans. And um, I, he'll, he will never admit that I was right. But I would give him so much crap about that. I was like, what, the, just the, the bottom quarter of your, your leg doesn't get cold or what? what's that about? You know? <laughs> Oh, you're supposed to, you, you wear them with your gaiters and this and that and the other thing. And I was like, that's cool. I could wear my full length puppies with my gaiters too, you know? And then, uh, one, one trip, he forgot his gaiters and he was r- running around with his three quarter length puppies on. I was like, how's that bottom of your legs feel? And, oh, they're fine. They're, they're warm. And yeah, he was never going to admit that I was around. Right. But I, I'm pretty sure he was getting cold. Nice. I yeah. think, uh, have you heard of Forlo? For low? Yes, for the love of hunting. American-made hunting, technical hunting apparel. Uh, new to what? the game. I think, I, do they look like the ASAT camo? The first light ASAT kind camo? Of, used to kind of, kind of, yes. That kind of that predator camo, real big, blotchy pattern? Uh, but well, it's, no, I wouldn't say that. Because it's, like it's, like, it's like it's blended. Light, um, but it's a light tan base with almost like a tiger stripey type of a pattern look. Mm, no i wouldn't say that i wouldn't Maybe? say that no okay no. you don't you have to send me their stuff because I saw um an ad for a so, company the other day that yeah so my thing is is i've been slowly trying to replace out anything and everything i could with american made gear slowly over mm. time so i'm not going broke and my wife kills me you know whatever right <laughs> but um yeah no yeah but trying to do that and um one of the things i came across because i was like you know my my Sitka pants are kind of starting to get, I had the Timberline pants and they're starting to get a little worn out. And, you know, I was thinking they're definitely faded compared to the jacket that I never wear. But, um, so that's the other thing, like camo doesn't matter. Colors don't matter, you know, no. is it, but whatever. Um, but yeah. so I was like, you know, I'm starting to get worn out. I'm going to, I'm going to replace the pants. So then I started looking, doing a little bit of research and came across this Forlo and it's, made in america i was like how how can i go wrong with that they're actually yeah super badass pants um i like them better than the timberline pants so if you're in the market for a new pant just saying they've they've got a lot of <laughs> stuff that they have plans for it's just not made yet you know you got to try and get the name yeah. out there before you can make you know two thousand different SKUs. but oh um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah but so like it's pretty basic what they have right now but um they do have down puffy layers i may consider but um the pants are pretty badass i'm totally digging them do they have a the vent zip on the side they do you know they do oh dude i like me some of that that is they uh, have a vent zip they have knee pads integrated in they have a they removable i don't think they are but they dry quick because i have had them wet and so okay. they DWR treat all of their fabric before they put it all together. So highly water resistant, and it's already a water resistant material anyway. And the way they right. do the DWR though is they put it in like a giant, it's like a Connex that's a vacuum. So they put it in there, the material in there, they DWR it, and then they pull the DWR through so it's still water treated but it doesn't clog the pores of the fabric so it's still mm. breathable super okay. important so yeah pretty neat i wore them all last season deer hunting 
went through mud and muck and and saddle hunted so i was up scraping and climbing on my oh, on my platform yeah. so all the abrasion from that and they used this stuff that was like from the automotive industry for the knee pad like the the scuff pad on the outer layer mm-hmm. of your knee super durable stuff i thought a couple of times i was for sure gonna tear them open you know just <laughs> stupid yeah. stuff climbing well, in and out of the tree and yeah sharp Those saddles your knees are on the tree though yeah all the time sharp gear and, and um they held up so i i was pretty impressed so huh. it's uh something to look into if you're looking for because uh, yeah, well, i know you're a gear junkie like i am so yeah do they uh they make a merino base layer so technically no because merino is not american wool right that's like new zealand wool australian or yeah, yeah. so um they're working on something right now that it will be Montana wool, which okay. still has the same rating and everything as the actual Merino does. So they're working on something that's supposed to be coming out. I don't know when that's dropping. I'm super okay. excited about that. But they do have another base layer now that's called Trizar, which is the same stuff they used to use on the space shuttles. So it, it actually okay. dissipates heat but it also retains heat all at the same time. So it, like it's a thermal regulator, I guess right. you would call yeah. it. And it's got like huh? stink pro anti-stink properties built in to the, whatever the fabric is that you're using. It, it's automatic with that. So I do have the so shirt. That's my thing is the sweat. Yeah. I like my feet. I sweat and I stink quick with a synthetic. That's why yeah. I like the, I haven't gotten any stink on, so I only have the top, but I will say that you could, you could wear it a couple days. I haven't worn it like super long. And plus, I mean, it's pretty freaking cold in November here, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really put it to the test yet in like warm weather, I guess, but, uh, and, and that's, I did a test with Merino, um, actually my first light Merino arrow wool, one fifty top, um, wearing a vest all the time in the heat for law enforcement is as soon as you put the, the vest on, you start sweating and you don't stop sweating until you take it off. So you know, at 10, 11 hours, you're sweating in that. And man, it was with a synthetic layer underneath or a cotton. I used to stink <laughs> so bad. And yeah. you're the worst, you're worst enemy. So all that comes right up. So you're smelling this the whole shift. And I was like, you know what? I, I use this Merino wool stuff to hunt with because it's, antimicrobial and right you know kind of odor resistant and so i was like you know i'm gonna try it so i wore that underneath my vest first day didn't stink at all and as soon as i took my vest off it dried real quick i was like okay for the second day and a third day and a fourth day and a full five-day work week without washing it which some people are like what the heck that's yeah it probably wasn't the most sanitary but just to see if I could get it to stink and it never did stink full five days of wearing the same shirt, sweating in it all the time in that vest. I was like, Holy cow. Like this is how much better that is than the synthetic to me. And I know there's other synthetics that have different coatings or stuff that they impermeate the synthetic with to help with the odor. But I was sold on Merino after I did that. Now you just inspired me. I'm gonna to have to take the Trizar shirt, the the base layer from uh, from Forlo. I'm gonna put it on and I'm gonna run for a full week and then see. There you go. Don't wash it. it. Yeah, don't yeah. wash it and see what it does. 
but <laughs> I think your that's, wife's not going to appreciate that one. Ah, she doesn't care. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. I think yeah, that's dude. probably a good point to wrap it up because we could probably go on forever. But uh, uh, yeah, we could talk. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even, we haven't even scratched the surface on a lot of the skier stuff that I got sitting over there. But <laughs> maybe. Nah, we'll... <laughs> yeah, I know you got you got to get some sleep. It's what. 11 o'clock back there yeah it's it's getting there yeah it is so um we can uh we could probably have another discussion another time and we'll we'll really get into some more gear but um definitely so people if they want to kind of follow you and you're you're certain the whole gear junkies anonymous thing too um where can they find all that and do all that kind of stuff yeah on uh i got a facebook but i'm not on there as much but uh on instagram backcountry underscore b-a-b-a underscore y-a-g-a backcountry baba yaga a lot of people pronounce it funny but uh that's kind of a play you ever seen the movie john wick yes i was going to ask you that was was it either like the the john wick character the the killer from john wick or was it like the old ancient uh russian folklore about the woods dweller that uh so it's more (laughs) the play on the, the john wick thing about the you know, he's not the boogeyman. He's the one we send to kill the boogeyman kind of a thing. So that, uh, that's kind of where I got that. But. And then, uh, yeah, Gear Junkies Anonymous on Instagram too. I, I have that one. That one's just kind of up and up and going. I haven't really spent a whole lot of time and effort on that one yet, but it's getting there. Nice. I appreciate it. Yeah, Thank you for coming on, man. Hey. Oh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss primo's truth about hunting wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment